Good morning. I've had some people ask me today that you weren't here last week, so let me just say it one more time. Uh, I fractured my ankle uh, about a week and a half ago, something like that. Um, not a big deal, very small fracture, but I got to wear this attractive boot for a little longer. So that's why I'm sitting down today and why I'm, I have this boot on. Uh, but uh, not a big deal at all. I'm really excited to start this new summer series on the book of Joshua. For those of you that have tuned in, I'm grateful that you've decided to uh, watch today and hopefully you've got a Bible handy with you. Uh, the book of Joshua, you probably know, maybe you don't know, it's the sixth book of the Old Testament. And it is probably, it probably has the most unusual beginning of any book in the Bible. We're going to put it on the screen. Here's the way the book begins. Look at this. After the death of Moses. That's not the way I would begin a book. That's not like a, an attention-grabbing line, right? After the death of Moses. Right away, though, we see from these first five words that this book is really a continuation of a story. It's a story that began all the way back in the book of Exodus. Remember Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, is the story really of God using Moses to bring the people out of Egypt, the Exodus out of Egypt. And so through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the main character in those four books is a man named Moses. The Bible focuses on the life and the ministry and the work of Moses. So it was Moses who confronted Pharaoh. It was Moses who called down the plagues on Egypt. He was the one who led the exodus of God's people. He saw God part the Red Seas. It was Moses who met with God on Mount Sinai. It was Moses to whom God gave the Ten Commandments. It was Moses that led approximately two million people through the wilderness for about 40 years and to the very edge of the promised land. And from Exodus to Deuteronomy, Moses is the key figure in biblical history. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy ends with these words. Deuteronomy chapter 34, the last words of Deuteronomy are these, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. So when we come finally to the end of Deuteronomy, Moses finally has died. The main character of those other books, has finally, now at the end of Deuteronomy, he finally has died. And, and the very last verses of the book describe him this way, verse 10. Since then, since his death, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom, watch this, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's how prominent, how powerful Moses was. The Lord knew him face to face. And then the very last word of the book, the very last lines of the book of Deuteronomy are these. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. I'm telling you, Moses was the original goat, right? He was the original greatest of all time. No one had ever done anything like Moses had done. No one had met God face to face like Moses has done. And so my question would be to you, how would you like to take over for that guy? And that's where the book of Joshua begins. If you have your Bibles open to that sixth book of the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. And now you understand why it begins with these words because the book of Joshua picks up where the book of Deuteronomy leaves off. And so it continues the story. And it continues the story with these words. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Moses, my servant, is dead. That wasn't new information. Joshua already knew that. But God wanted to emphasize to Joshua, Moses isn't here anymore, but I still am. And I still have something I want to do for the people of God, the, the Israelites, and I'm going to use you to bring that about. This book begins the way it does because it really is this continuation of what God began to do in Exodus. Not just what Moses did, but what God began to do in Exodus. Now he's going to continue to do through Joshua. You see, you need to understand that leaders don't lead forever. Moses, my servant, is dead. Leaders don't lead forever. Even godly leaders like Moses. There comes a time when every ministry has to wrestle with, what do we do now? The people of God often have had to wrestle with that question. When the leader is gone, when the leader is no longer in place, and and they've watched him and listened to him for years, and all of a sudden, he's not there anymore. The people of God have to wrestle with this issue. What do we do now? I like what Charles Wesley said. You may know that name. Charles Wesley was a preacher and a hymn writer in the 18th century. It is said that he wrote over 6,500 hymns. That's a lot of hymn writing, is it it not? So he died on March 29th, 1788. And after his death and after his brother's death, they erected a monument. His brother was John Wesley. The two of them were instrumental in the starting of the Methodist church, Methodist denomination. And so... After Charles and John Wesley later died, they erected this monument and they put on the monument the words that Charles Wesley had said earlier when he was alive. And the words are these, God buries his workmen but carries on his work. That's really the theme of the opening verses of Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. God buries his workmen but he carries on his work. You see, God's workers do die, but God's work never dies. So the book of Joshua is a story of transition. There's a transition in leadership from Moses to Joshua. And there is a transition in lifestyle, from from the lifestyle of wandering in the wilderness to the lifestyle of living in a land that you now possess. Joshua is a story of transition. And the people of Israel were about to transition in a big way. They were about to follow a new leader into a new land to a new life. God had it planned. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were Joshua, if I were taking over for the goat, Moses, I would feel like a pygmy facing a giant. And he must have felt a little bit like that because God gave him three powerful promises to try to reassure him. So look what, what he says in verses 3 and 5. 3 through 5. Here's the first promise. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Now you need to realize that this is what they've been waiting on for 40 years. Remember, they, they'd left Exodus, or left Egypt, 
during the Exodus and they were walking towards the promised land, dreaming of the promised land, hoping for the promised land, but never getting there for 40 years. And now God says, listen, I'm going to give you all the land that I promised Moses. Now it was finally about to happen. The promise actually goes back further than those 40 years because God originally made the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. And throughout Genesis, he reaffirmed that promise to Abraham. And then he reaffirmed that promise of a land to Isaac and to Jacob. And God continued to reaffirm that promise. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you this land. And then when Moses comes on the scene, God gave him that promise again. He reaffirmed the promise. And now, now that Moses is dead, God says to Joshua, I'm going to give you the land. You're going to have to cross the Jordan River and you're going to have to conquer it. I'm going to give it to you, but you're going to have to conquer it. Now, watch this. Look up here for a moment. God said, I'm going to give you this land this way. Wherever you put your foot, I'll give you that land. In other words, I'm giving it to you, but you have to go possess it. Look how he describes it in verse 4. Uh, Verse 3 and 4. I'll give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. And then he gives them some boundaries. Your territory will extend from the desert in the south to Lebanon in the north, from the great river the Euphrates in the east, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west, which is the Mediterranean. God says, okay, this will be the general boundaries for the land that I'm giving you. And wherever you walk around in that land, wherever you set your foot... I'll give it to you. In other words, I'm giving it to you, but you have to claim it. So wherever you put your foot, here's the promise, I'll give it to you. Then he makes another promise. Verse 5. No enemy will be able to stand up against you. No one will be able to stand up against you. And he says, all the days of your life. Do you see it in verse 5? No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. In other words, Joshua... Not not only am I going to give you this land, you are going to be invincible. Undefeated. And in fact, if you read the book of Joshua, here's the interesting thing. When you read the book of Joshua, he never lost a battle. 24 chapters in the book, Joshua never lost a battle. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about over there in chapter 7, the battle of Ai? They got defeated there. And if you read chapter 7 at the battle of Ai, you'll find out Joshua was not there. He sent his people to go fight the battle, but Joshua wasn't there. But in chapter 8, when Joshua went there, they defeated Ai. So what God promised him in chapter 1, verse 5, was fulfilled throughout the book. You'll be invincible. No one will be able to stand up against you. Then he gave him this third promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Verse 5. Now, in other words, Moses is dead. Watch this. Moses is dead, but nothing that matters has changed. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. You see, the secret to Moses' success was God's presence with him. The secret to the success and power of Moses was not Moses. It was God's presence with Moses. And now God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you, he said. Look at that word never. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But come on, can we be honest? That's an encouraging word to hear. But if God were asking you to take over from Moses, don't you think you'd be a little bit scared? 
Don't you think you'd, you would be a little bit frightened? Don't you think you'd be a little bit nervous? You'd be a little bit tentative? I mean, God, thank you for the encouraging word. I appreciate that. But we're talking about Moses here. Whoa! I was about to go over on my face. and I need to sit still. Three times. This was such an issue. Let me, before I get to that, let me ask you a question. Has God ever asked you to do something that scared you to death? God ever given you something to do that you felt inadequate for? Yeah. God ever put something on your plate? God ever put something in front of you and it's like, are you sure you've got the right person for this? You ever felt that way? Boy, I have. Joshua must have really felt that way because three times God spoke to Joshua, and he said the same thing three times. Be courageous, be strong and courageous. He says it in verse 6, and in verse 7, and in verse 9. Uh, let me just, we just have to read it because it's, it's so interesting that he had to tell him again and again. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Verse 7, here it is again. Be strong, and this time he said, very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law of my servant. Moses gave you. And then down in verse 9, he said, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? That great theologian, John Wayne, once said, he said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. So in Western translation, we would say, God said to Joshua, I know you're scared to death, but saddle up anyway. Because here is something I'm giving you to do. Here is something I'm calling you to do. And I know you're nervous. And I know you feel inadequate. And I know you feel like I've got the wrong person. But saddle up anyway. Be strong and courageous. You see, nobody drifts into faithfulness by accident. You don't become a godly man or a godly woman without personal effort and personal faith. Now here's what you need to learn and remember. God calls us to follow and obey Him. Listen to this. Even in those times when we feel weak and fearful. Hey, somebody needs to hear this. God calls us to follow and obey Him. Even in those times when we feel weak and fearful. So three times He said, he said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Have you ever had to tell your kids something more than once? Sure you have. You had to remind him again and again and again. God had to do that with Joshua. He had to tell him again and again and again. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Because that man was scared to death. And felt so inadequate. Because he was taking over from Moses. But watch this. Listen to this. He was taking over from Moses. But it was not him that had to do everything. He had to learn that spiritual power is not human power. It is God's power. Be strong and courageous. So, God tells him two ways to do that. Because here's the question. How? Look up here for a minute. How, how, did, how are you to be strong and courageous if you don't feel strong or courageous? Right? I mean, it's one thing to say, well, okay, God says be strong and courageous. But what if I don't feel that way? 
What if my knees are knocking, I have no courage, I feel so inadequate, I feel like a failure, I feel like, God, you should have gotten somebody else. Surely there was somebody on planet earth that could have done this besides me. So if you don't feel strong and courageous, how can you become strong and courageous with that which God is calling you to do? And God tells, to, tells Joshua and tells us two very critical pieces of information that made the difference for him. Here's the first one. Number one. He said, if you want to be strong and courageous, carefully obey the Word of God. Carefully obey the Word of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous, he says in verse 7. Then watch this. Notice how it's written. Be careful. You might want to underline that. Be careful. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful, there it is again, to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Translation, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now let me tell you how to do it. First of all, you've got to be careful to make sure you're obeying the Word of God. And he uses a word here that's interesting. He uses the word meditate on the Word of God. And in the Hebrew language, it really is an interesting word because the word meditate literally means to mutter. M-U-T-T-E-R. Joshua, I want you to mutter the Word of God. As one commentator said, when one continually mutters God's Word to himself, he's constantly thinking about it. When you mutter the Word of God. In other words, it all, that's why he said, let the Word of God stay on your mouth. How did he say it? Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey uh, all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Mutter on it. Don't let this depart from your mouth. You need to make sure that you're speaking the Word of God. You're muttering the Word of God. In other words, the loudest voice in our head is often our own. And because the loudest voice in our head is often our own, we can talk ourselves out of doing something. Because the loudest voice in our head is often our own, we can convince ourselves that we're inadequate. We can be overcome by fear. So God says, here's how you address that. You need to mutter the Word of God so that there is a voice in your head that's louder than yours. And when the voice in your head is God's voice, speaking God's Word, that's when you're more likely to be strong and courageous. Now, I want to make sure you understand something. We're not just talking about knowledge of the Bible. Knowledge of the Bible is very good. But knowledge of the Bible is not enough. In fact, two times, once in verse 7, once in verse 8, he uses the word careful. I, I mentioned it to you. We need to be careful to do the Word of God, not just careful to know the Word of God. Look how he says it in verse 7. He says, you need to be careful, verse 7, careful to obey it all. And in verse 8, he says, you need to be careful to do it all. At the center of everything we do is God's Word, and our number one task is to be careful to obey it. I just can't stress that enough. The number one task you have is to make sure to be careful that you're obeying God's Word. Not just that you have a knowledge of God's Word, but that you're obeying God's Word. 
You see, Joshua's strength and his courage would come from meditating, muttering on the Word of God and believing its promises to such a degree that he would obey it. Then there's this important note. It's in verse 7 and in verse 8. God says, if you will be careful to obey it all and do it all, verse 7 he says that you'll be successful wherever you go. And in verse 8, he says, then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, I want you to listen to me. And those watching online, please tune in and focus for a moment. Everybody in the balcony, everybody on the lower floor, I want to tell, tell you something about this idea. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. This is not talking about prosperity gospel. And the reason I say that is because those who preach prosperity gospel, one of their key verses are the verses I just read. Prosperity gospel, if you don't know, basically is the gospel that says that God wants financial blessing and physical well-being for all of God's people if you'll just have enough faith. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be your pastor. That is a false gospel. It is not God's will that everybody have financial blessings and be physically well. That is a false gospel. And if you hear that on television or on the internet, you need to turn it off. I'm going to tell you something. This idea, this idea that God wants financial blessing and God wants physical blessings for all people, tell that to the Christians in China who are being persecuted for their faith. Tell that to the Christians in Russia. Tell that to the Christians in Uzbekistan that they can be financially prosperous if they have enough faith. Tell that to the Christians in Iran. I was reading about them this week. Where they have to have secret churches. And when their secret churches are raided, those who are arrested are charged with crimes against national security. Tell them that God wants you to be financially prosperous. By the way, when they're arrested, most Christians, the majority of them are taken to a jail called Ebon Prison, which is also known as the Torture Factory. Tell those precious saints of God, God wants you to be prosperous and financially successful if you'll just have enough faith. That is a false gospel. Prosperity and success in Joshua chapter 1 is very real. But we need to make sure we understand what he's talking about. He's saying, Joshua, if you will be careful to obey, carefully obey the word of God. You'll be successful and prosperous as you go in to conquer the land I'm going to give you. You will not lose a battle. You'll be able to conquer the land I'm going to give you. That's what he meant. Success and prosperity in this context is about obtaining and conquering the promised land. That's what it means. I love Warren Wiersbe, the, 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 the great uh, theologian, in his commentary regarding this idea of success and prosperity, he said, we Christians need to ask ourselves three questions. And the three questions are these. Number one, did we obey the will of God? Number two, were we empowered by the Spirit of God? And number three, did we serve for the glory of God? 
Let me give you those questions again because some of you might want to write them down. Number one, did we obey the will of God? Number two, were we empowered by the Spirit of God? Number three, did we serve for the glory of God? And then he said, if we can answer yes to those questions, then our ministry was successful in God's eyes no matter what the people of the world would think. If you do those things, you are successful in God's eyes, regardless of how much money you do or don't have in your bank account. So if you, want, if you feel inadequate, if you feel scared, if, if, you, if you think, man, there's, my life is just wrapped up in fear and anxiety, and I know God wants me to do something, I, I just, I'm overcome with this idea of fear and anxiety. God says, here's how you address that. Number one, fully obey the Word of God. Number two, second thing he told Joshua when he felt overwhelmed, inadequate, scared to death, God said, you need to completely trust the presence of God. Completely trust the presence of God. Look in verse 9, how God said this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. This is not a suggestion. This is not a question. Have I not commanded you? Joshua, look at me. Look at me. Look at me, Joshua. Joshua, look at me. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And then he wa- watch what he says. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. By the way, when you look at the text and you study the Hebrew there, uh, the idea is not one day you might be discouraged. One, one day you might be terrified. Uh, the idea behind the text is he was discouraged and terrified at that moment. It is so clear in the text when you read it that he was struggling with discouragement at that moment. He was terrified at that moment. His knees were knocking at that moment. And God says this to him. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. And watch this. You might want to underline this in your Bible. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the climax of the speech that God gave to Joshua. This is probably one of the greatest verses in the entire book of Joshua. This verse likely speaks to anyone who's ever tried to serve the Lord. Because if you've ever tried to serve the Lord, you know that there are days when you are discouraged. If you've ever tried to serve the Lord, you know there are days when you are scared. Can I just give you a little glimpse into the life of a minister? Fear and discouragement are our constant companions. The only antidote for fear and discouragement that we all struggle with at times, the only antidote is the awareness, the constant awareness of God's presence. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now do you remember what he said in verse 5? Go back to verse 5. Let's read that one more time. No one, like in no one, okay? No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. You'll be invincible. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never, as in never, ever, ever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, listen, listen. Verse 5, you're going to be invincible. But, but also you need to understand that you're never going to be alone. The reason you're you're going to be invincible is because you're never going to be alone. I will always be with you wherever you go. Joshua 
had always been Moses' right-hand man. I don't know if you realize that, but if you study uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy, you'll see Joshua popping up again and again in the text, and he's always beside Moses. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, for example, the only other person within a rock's throw of him was Joshua. He was always Moses' right-hand man for many, many years. And watch this, because he was... Because he was Moses' right-hand man, he saw God do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle for Moses. And now God says to Joshua, I want you to understand something. It's not about your power. It's about my presence. I'll never leave you. And I know this is a big job I'm giving you, but it's not about your ability. It's about my presence. All of us can understand the importance of the presence of God. And the best way I can illustrate it to you is probably, uh, have, have you ever had a little child? Maybe you've got little children right now or grandchildren. And they're in a dark room and they get scared. But when you come into the dark room, everything's better, right? The power of parental presence. Or they're in a situation and they're, they're scared and they reach up for your hand. And once they, they hold your hand... They're okay because of the power of parental presence. This is an old joke. You probably have heard it, but there was this little girl and she was crying. It woke up in the middle of the night. She was scared and she was crying and she was asking for her mom and her mom finally came in the bedroom and her mom tried to comfort her and calm her down and get her back to sleep. And, and she finally whimpered and said, Mommy, will you sleep with me? And the, the mom said, Honey, I can't. I've got to go in there and sleep with your daddy. And the little girl whimpered again. She said, that big sissy. (laughs) All of us can understand that, right? We can understand the power of parental presence. And God said to Joshua, I want you to understand the power of my presence. See, it never was about Moses. It was about the God who was with Moses. And it will never be about you, Joshua. It will be about the God who is with you. Man, that is such a wonderful promise. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How would that change your mindset if you really grabbed hold of that? How would that change what you're worrying about if you really grabbed hold of that? How would that change what you're fearful of if you really grabbed hold of that? The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, there's this uh, congregational response. I think the technical name is uh, antiphonal chant. But there's this congregational response that we've done over the years where I say God is good and you say, I wish you would say it with a little more emphasis there. (laughs) So let me try again. There's this congregational response where I say God is good and you say, and I say all the time and you say, I read this week something I didn't know. I read this week that that actually started in Nigeria. It originated in the church's of Nigeria. 
But they actually add a line. Now, I haven't been able to validate that, but that's what I read. But the, it said that they actually add another line at the end that we don't use here in America. And the line is, I am a witness. They say it in unison. I am a witness. So let's just try it. So God is good. And all the time. And I am a witness. That's powerful, isn't it? I'm a witness. That's good. That's powerful. Joshua had been a witness to God's faithfulness to Moses. To God's faithfulness to his people. So God said to Joshua... Do not be discouraged and do not be terrified. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Joshua should have been able to say, You're right, I am a witness. I saw you do it time and time again when Moses was in charge. I'm a witness. God was saying, listen, you're going to go have to go fight for the land. There's battles ahead. But even though there's going to be battles, I'll be with you wherever you go. This was not the promise of an easy road. This was not the promise of no tears. This was the promise of God's presence wherever He went as the leader of God's people. And that would make all the difference. I'll be with you wherever you go. Now what Joshua did, any of us can do. Carefully obey the Word of God. Completely trust in the presence of God. Over the years, I've seen what happens when people do that. When you carefully obey the Word of God and completely trust in the presence of God, I've seen God do amazing things in your life. And I am a witness. I've seen it in my life too. There have been times when I've been absolutely scared to death. There have been times when I felt so overwhelmed. There have been times when, when I just felt so inadequate. God, please get somebody else. But when I carefully obey the Word of God, I carefully obey the Word of God. And when I completely trust in the presence of God, God has never failed me. Nor will he ever. Because he's God. God has been faithful. And I'm a witness. God's been faithful to you. And God's been faithful to me. And I am a witness. Joshua. Moses is dead. But nothing that matters has changed. Because I am still here. I still have a plan for my people. I still have all the power I had when Moses was here. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Because it's not about how powerful you are. It's about how powerful I am. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Because it's not about your presence. 
It's about my presence. And I will be with you wherever you go. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. Can we agree that serving God is not always easy? Can we agree that serving God sometimes just brings you to that point where you feel so overwhelmed and so inadequate and so scared and, and it's like, God, please. Why? Why? I can't. And we've got all these excuses and all these frustrations and all this anxiety. And maybe right now there's something that you're, you're really struggling with and, and that anxiety has just overcome you. It's, you have anxious days where it's like, I just can't do this anymore. Would you just focus on carefully obeying the Word of God? And completely trusting in the presence of God. And it might surprise you what God does through you. I am a witness. Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy that is so real and so good. You are indeed good all the time. And today we want to acknowledge our trust and our faith in you. Today we want to acknowledge that we need you more than we need anything that we could ever do. That you are the one that gives us the strength we need. You are the one that gives us the help and the hope that we need. You are the one that we are serving. And may you be honored and glorified in Jesus' name.